Hi, I'm Ben Pilgreen, lead pastor of Epic Church in San Francisco, and I want to welcome you to the podcast. Our vision here is to see an increasing number of people in San Francisco orient their entire lives around Jesus. But whether you're listening in from the city that we love here by the bay or wherever you might happen to be in the world today, I want you to know that I'm excited about what God is doing in your life and what he's doing in our Epic Church community. I hope you'll find this message encouraging and that it will inspire you to take your next steps along your faith journey. Good afternoon. You guys are well? All right. I typically don't give too much much thought to my titles. It's usually something really obvious, but I I thought with this one, I'm like, this is a cool one. It's a good one. The title of my talk today is The Fight. The Fight. And what's interesting about that title is that I've never been much into fighting, ever. Like, for those of you who are familiar with the Enneagram, I am a nine on the Enneagram, which is the peacemaker, all right? So I do anything that I can to avoid conflict, conflict with people and even internal conflict, okay? Even when I was a kid, I would, I would try to avoid a fight as much as I could. And growing up in a rough neighborhood, that wasn't always an easy thing to do, but I managed. But not only did I not like to participate in fights, I couldn't stomach to watch them. I couldn't stomach to watch them. Growing up in a Puerto Rican home, my, my dad was sure to get the pay-per-view for any boxing matches that included Puerto Rican fighters like Felix Trinidad or um, Miguel Cotto. He would get them. And at first, I would find myself cheering for these boxers. But if the fight got too gruesome, I would walk away and go into another room. To this day, I can't watch an MMA fight. I can't. I just can't. But if the Christian life has taught me anything, it's this. You need to fight. You need to fight. Rather than walking away or trying to avoid it, you and I are called to engage in a fight. Now, I'm not talking about a physical fight. It's a fight that's taking place inside of us. It's a battle that is fought in our hearts and in our minds. And here are the opponents. Our old passions and desires versus our new passions and desires. Or as our passage is going to show us today, the passage puts it like this. This is the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. This is a battle between choosing God's way versus our sin nature. And here's why it's important that we talk about this fight, that we talk about this battle especially in this series. Throughout this Bring It Out series, Pastor Ben has been casting a vision and giving us some practical tools of how we can live the life that, that we all long for, the life that, that God has provided for us through Jesus' death and resurrection. But here's the thing. In order for us to bring out that kind of life, in order for us to bear the right kind of fruit, we need to keep sin in check. We need to keep sin in check. The writer of Hebrews compares our spiritual life to a race. 
In chapter 12, he compares our spiritual life to a race. But this is not a race where we are competing against each other or where we are comparing ourselves to others. No, this is a race specifically marked for you and for me, for us to run. And, and, and in that chapter, this is his encouragement to us as we run our race. He says, be sure as you run your race to throw off, throw off, get rid of, the sin that so easily entangles. It so easily entangles. Guys, you know this. You can't run a race if your legs are tied. At least not well. You can't run a race if you're, even if your arms are tied behind your back. You're not going to do it well. You can't run the race of your life if you're entangled in sin. To use the imagery of the parable of the sore, which Pastor Ben taught from two weeks ago, you and I can't have deep roots because of sin is present in our life. Sin is what will choke out the fruit from our lives. Now, most of us know that. Right? We, we know that sin doesn't help our situation, especially when it comes to faith and our spiritual life. It just creates more problems for us. So you might be asking, Will, then why did you start by talking about fighting? I'm glad you asked that question. Here's why. The reason I started by talking about fighting is because most of us don't think of Christianity in fighting terms. We don't think of, of Christianity in fighting terms. You see, because there's this idea that floats around that when Christianity is done right, whatever right is, when it's done right, that there's no fighting necessary. That's this belief that we have. We envision a spirituality that is marked by ease, strength, and peace. That's the life we want, one of ease, strength, and peace, and and. and when you talk to people, this, this type of stuff comes up. Whether we real, realize it or not, many of us hold this belief that, that true saints or true Christians, whatever you want to call them, that they have no sinful desires. The people we look up to, we're like, oh, they, they have it all figured out. And if that's not a view that is held of most Christians, eternal optimists at the very least believe it is true of spiritual leaders and of people in position like mine. But can I share a secret with you that doesn't have to stay between us? All right? We all have a desire to do wrong, including pastors. We all have a desire to do wrong. I believe a lot of people who are not Christians see Christians as hypocrites because we try to put up this front that we have it together. No, 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 no. People, people at times are, sometimes, are shocked when I share some of my struggles from up here when I'm teaching. They, they just can't comprehend it. They don't see how it could be possible. They don't understand why I would want to share those things. They can't stomach a pastor who is engaged in an internal fight. But listen... Every single human being ever born has the inclination. And here's the key. Even after putting their faith in Jesus, 
Every single human being ever born has the inclination to do wrong. Everyone. None of us are exempt. Do you realize that the writer of Hebrews also says this about Jesus? He says that Jesus was tempted in every way, in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Can you think about that? You were tempted this morning. You were tempted yesterday, last night. At some point or another, you can think of when you were tempted to do something wrong. It says that Jesus was tempted in a similar way. But unlike Jesus, we do commit the sin. We do fall into it. But here's my, my thought, my question to you. If Jesus fought with sin and temptation, what makes us think that we won't have to? If he battled it, what makes us think that we won't have to battle it? But nevertheless, there, there is a hope in many of us. There's a hope, and I get it. There's a hope in many of us that wrong, evil, or sinful desires will one day completely go away. And I get it. But listen, it is absolutely, and I believe this is true, it is absolutely possible for God to deliver someone from an addiction. I believe that's possible. Where they cr never have the craving any longer. But most of the time, the desire, the temptation never goes away. It never goes away. That doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. That doesn't mean that you haven't been given freedom in Christ. That just means that you now have to fight those urges and choose the right desires. That's what that means. In fact, what I'm going to argue today is that if there is no fight taking place within you, that's when there's a problem. If there is no fight taking place within you, that's when you should be concerned, not when you feel that warring inside of you. So to bring this point home, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 16 and read through verse 25 for our main passage for today. If you guys will stand as we read God's word. Galatians 5:16. it says this. So I say, this is Paul writing to the Galatians. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led... By the way, that, that's an you. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. He's basically saying we have two desires that are in opposition to one another within us. So whatever, whatever one we choose, we never get to do what we want because we're always saying no to one of those desires. It's fascinating to me. All right, maybe not to you, but let's keep going. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies. And he's think, when he says orgies, he's thinking about drunken orgies. So like keg parties, that type of thing, picture that. And the like. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just him giving some obvious examples. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
But the fruit of the Spirit, many of us know this passage, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Maybe see that. Pray that God's Word will speak to us this afternoon. All right, Paul, the person who wrote this letter to the Galatians, he's telling us that the flesh and the Spirit couldn't be any more different. They couldn't be any more different. They don't see eye to eye on anything. They have desires that are contrary to one another. So they are constantly battling. There's constantly this fight taking place between the two. It's kind of like our current political landscape, right? You would say? I'm not trying to get political. I'm just using a real-life illustration. Just think about what happens when you get opposing sides together in the same room. It's going to go down. They are going to be at each other's throat. They are going to oppose each other as much as they can. But unlike what happens in D.C., it's a good thing when that battle is being fought within us. It's a good thing. Before we dive more into that, here's one thing that you should know. Is that even before you chose to follow God, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, even before you chose to follow God, you were already in a fight. You were already in a fight. But it wasn't the flesh versus the spirit. No, no, no. It was you against God. As created beings, we were made to worship him and to orient our lives around him. But we fought that nature, and instead we centered our lives around other things or people. And because we chose to orient our lives around other things, we experienced breakdown in our lives. Breakdown. And I want you to see this illustration that Tim Keller gives of the breakdown that takes place in our lives when God is not at the center. He says this, to live without God is like trying to pull a wagon without wheels. It kind of works, but it drags and it scrapes. It works for a while, but eventually, as time goes on, you find there's less and less of a wagon there. Guys, apart from God, our lives disintegrate and the pieces end up all over the place. When Paul is talking about the flesh, he, he is referring to the sinful nature. He, he is referring to that bent of within every single one of us to rebel against God, to, to head in the opposite direction of him. Sin, here's a definition, sin and the flesh have to do with our consistent attempt and desire to live apart from God. It's our consistent attempt and desire to live apart from God. Now, whether you knew it or not, that's the old fight that you were engaged in. And just stated as it is, that's the fight that many of you are still engaged in. But I want you to know that if that's you, there's no judgment here. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, there's no judgment here. You are welcome. And our message 
to you is simply that God would want nothing more than for you to put your trust in him, trust in him and allow him to rebuild, restore your wagon and to put some wheels on that thing. He would want nothing more than for you to put your trust in him and allow him to work on your wagon. Listen, there is no winning that fight, that old fight against God. In fact, the more you fight that fight, the more disintegrated your life gets. That's the old fight. But here's where I want us to get to. When you place your faith in Jesus, when you submit to him as Lord and Savior, when you seek to no longer fight against him, but instead follow after him, hear this, the flesh doesn't go anywhere. The flesh doesn't go anywhere. That's what we would hope. But he doesn't go anywhere, or she doesn't go anywhere. That desire to live apart from God is still there. But even though it's still there, another force comes to live in you to counter the desires of the flesh. And that's the spirit. When the spirit of God comes to reside in us, the flesh is up in arms. It's ready to throw down. It's ready to hunker down. It's ready to, 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 to get better footing in our lives. That hunker down phrase, by the way, it's, it's a, something I learned in Florida when hurricanes would come. They would say, hunker down. That's Anyway. Let's get back to what we were talking about. It's up in arms, though. It's not going to go out without a fight. Peter uses the language of war to describe this new fight taking place when we put our faith in Jesus. He writes, dear friends, dear fellow believers, dear Christians, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, to abstain from the flesh. Why? Hear this, because the sinful desires are waging war against your souls. They're waging war. The sinful desires of the flesh is waging war against your soul. He's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians. He's saying, this is normal. The flesh is waging war against your soul. But you now have the spirit to help you to help you. So let me ask you a question. Is there a war taking place within you? Is there a war taking place within you? I'm not talking about bouts with depression or or battles with negative thinking that leads us to feel like we're not enough. Those are real and challenging battles, but I'm not referring to that. I'm referring to something different. Is there a war between the flesh and the spirit that is going on in your life. Is that happening? J.C. Ryle, who um, was a, is a UK pastor who lived in the 1800s, he wrote a book on holiness. And in that book, he actually had a, a chapter called The Fight. And he wrote this, a true Christian is one who has not only peace of conscience, conscience but also has war within. He goes on to say that a true Christian, that they are just as much known by their warfare as they are by their peace. And so my question to you is, are you known for your warfare? Or have you given the flesh 
free reign to kind of keep this pseudo peace going in your life. Guys, we are called to surrender to Jesus, but not to the flesh. We are called to fight. One of the most disheartening things for me to see as a pastor is when a Christian is not involved in any fight at all. It can be discouraging when followers of Jesus aren't warring against the acts of the flesh that Paul begins to describe in verse 19. And I'm not saying that what he's describing, that I'm appalled by or shocked when someone tells me that they're struggling with sexual immorality or hatred or jealousy or drunkenness or anything that he's mentioned. No, no, no. I'm not naive, okay? We are drawn to these things. This is what flows out of us. But I'm more taken back when there's no remorse or repentance and such behavior is viewed as right or normal for Christians to engage in. That's when I'm taken back. By the way, I need, I need to insert this because this could probably rock some of you. Um, when Paul writes in verse 21 that those who live like this, when he, those who engage in these sins, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, meaning they are not saved, they are not followers of Jesus. When he says that, he is not referring to infrequent, repented of lapses into these sins. No, no, no. He is, is, is speaking of habitual sin that is taking place in our lives without any battle. That's what he's referring to there. Not the infrequent stuff that we are repenting of, but rather the habitual sin that we are engaged in without any battle or repentance. You see, Paul is not looking to undermine the certainty of our salvation, but his goal is to banish complacency. To banish complacency. And my goal, just like Paul today, is to challenge any complacency that we might be allowing in our lives. Guys, the way I feel about fights in the physical, I feel the same way when there is no fight in the spiritual. I, I can't stomach it. And, and, and what's even harder to stomach is when you tell or when I tell a quote-unquote Christian to put on their gloves and begin to fight, and then they turn around and fight you. And if you've been in that situation, you know what that feels like. You, you almost tend to decide, you know what? I'm not going to risk offending anyone or being attacked. So I'm going to stay away from sensitive subjects like this. But even with the risk, I'm going to tell you to put on your gloves and fight in an area that many of us have given up on. And the reason I'm going to do that is because one of the main things that I'm trying to do today is normalize the fight, to make the fight normal. And not only to make the fight normal, but to make the encouragement to fight normal, the challenge to fight normal. So here it is. Guys, if we want to bear the kind of fruit that only God can produce in us, and through us, then we need to fight against sexual immorality. This is just one example, but we need to fight against sexual immorality. 
you see, it's not a coincidence that this is the very first thing that Paul mentions in his list when he's going through the acts of the flesh. It's not a coincidence. It, it, it was the most obvious for them during their day. They were dealing with it just as much as we are dealing with it. And remember, he's speaking to a church just as I am speaking to a church. But guys, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, there is no reason why we should be following the world or the culture's lead in this area. No reason whatsoever. And when I say that, I'm not saying that it's easy to follow God's parameters in this area, which, to be clear, is to keep the gift of sex within the confines of marriage. It's not easy, but you should be fighting. You should be fighting. This might sound cheesy, but it's true. You may lose many battles, but do not give up on the war. You're going to lose battles. That's expected. That's normal. But don't give up on the fight. And listen, when, when people turn around and fight us, I get it. I get it. You see, when I snap back at B, my wife, because of something she said, it's typically because I feel guilty or judged or defensive or all of the above, right? We've all been there. But guys, listen, we are not judging you. We are on your side. We are cheering for you for you to have victory, for you to run your race as best as you can with God's help. And secondly, as your pastors, if we don't say anything, then we are guilty, not just you. If we keep quiet, then we are guilty. We are guilty before the eyes of God, and we are guilty for not leading you into something greater. About a month ago, I came across a passage of Scripture that spoke to me unlike it had ever before. It's from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16. The writer of Hebrews says this, see that no one is sexually immoral. See that no one in the church is sexually immoral. Now, let me just stop right there before we, we finish this passage. This letter was not written just to pastors. It was written to the whole congregation, to churches. So, the challenge, the encouragement to not be sexual immoral should not just be coming from up here, but it should be coming from within the community. This is how we should be encouraging one another, not just in this area, in all areas that keep us from living the life that God has for us, but it should be coming from within as well. He goes on to, to, to write, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Stop right there. At first, I didn't make the connection between sexual immorality and Esau. I, I, I saw those two statements as separate and distinct, but then it hit me. No, 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 these things are connected. You see, Esau traded away his inheritance, his inheritance, that which was coming to him from his father who, built a, who spent a lifetime building up wealth and all of these different things, he traded away his inheritance for a measly meal. 
for a meal. For those of you who have received an inheritance or have one coming your way, I just want you to think about that. For all of us to think about it. He traded his inheritance, in essence, something of immense value, a great treasure, literally for a bowl of soup. Now, I don't think any of you are asking right now, Will, though, how good was that bowl of soup? I don't think that's the question coming to your mind. It wasn't that good. It wasn't that good. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us is that we do the same thing when we let pornography and our sexual desires control us without any resistance. We are settling We are settling. We tell ourselves that we are having a blast, and yes, there's an aspect of pleasure involved in all of these things, but the shame, the guilt, and the broken relationships that come from this fleeting moment of pleasure, it's not worth it. God is saying, I have more for you. I have more for you. C.S. Lewis put it this way about our desires. He wrote, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We mess around with these things because we can't even begin to imagine the offer of what infinite joy that God is wanting to give us. And hear me out, again, as one of your pastors, we're not trying to control you. We want what is best for you. It's a fight. Fight. And I'm encouraging you specifically in one area, but we can go down the list and say the same thing about greed and jealousy and making work an idol. God has more for you. So here's the question for you. In which area have you given the flesh free reign? In which area have you given the flesh free reign? Where is there no fight in you where there should be? Determine today to start a fight. To start a fight with the flesh. But here's the question now. How do we bring the fight to the flesh? How do we bring the fight to the flesh? Verse 16 says that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So just a simple reading of this verse, the answer of how not to gratify the desires of the flesh, walk by the Spirit. Okay? I'm going to pray. No, no, no. How How do we walk by the Spirit? How do we do that? Let's start here. Billy, Billy Graham used to tell a story about an elderly man, um, how one day an elderly man said to his grandson, he said to his grandson, a fight is taking place within me and within you. It's a terrible fight. It's, it's, and it's, it's, it's a fight taking place between, between two wolves, one good and one bad. The first wolf embodies emotions and vices similar to the acts of the flesh that we have in our passage. Things like hate, greed, pride, dishonesty, and lust. 
The other wolf represents the values and virtues described in the fruit of the Spirit, things like peace, love, joy, patience, generosity, and kindness. And so the grandson is considering this metaphorical battle that his grandfather that is describing. And a question comes to his mind, and he asks the question, Grandpa, which wolf wins? If there's a battle taking place within me between good and evil, which wolf wins? The grandfather answers, well, the one you feed. The one you feed. Every day, we choose, whether we realize it or not, to feed one wolf and starve the other. Every moment of every day. Now, we all know how to gratify the desires of the flesh, right? No training needed there, right? We feed the flesh, as I mentioned earlier, when we attempt to live apart from God, when we follow those passions and desires. So therefore, we walk by the Spirit when we do the opposite of that, when we follow and put our trust in Jesus, we are feeding the Spirit. When we seek to live for Him and according to His ways. And in order to do that, we need to position ourselves to, to live for Him. We need to create holy habits. So here's my challenge to you for this day, for, for this week. If you want to start a fight today or this week, begin to do something that probably you, you, you're not doing. And if you're not doing, this is what you can do. Begin to spend time with God praying to Him and reading His Word. For the next 30 days, just commit to read a chapter in the New Testament if you're not doing that already. Read it one chapter in the New Testament every day and pray to God for about five minutes. Ask him to help you overcome the flesh. Do that and you'll have a fight on your hands. You see what, see, just watch what happens after two or three days. The flesh is going to roar back with all of its strength to try to get its way. Everything in your body, everything in your schedule, everything in the world, the flesh and the devil, they're going to come after you to do everything they can do to get you to stop. Right? You know that to be true. But here's what I want to say to you. That's okay. That's normal. Remember, you have to fight. And the Spirit of God is helping you. Here's how I want to close. We, again, this is 30 minutes to talk about 10 like, just amazing verses. Um, I haven't said much about the fruit of the Spirit. So here's what I'm going to leave you with. The goal of the fight is not simply to avoid doing bad things. All right? That's not, it's not just to stop doing certain things. But it's to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And, and, and that list is in verses 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, on and on. He goes, some amazing things, some amazing virtues. And if these things were present in our lives, we would all say it would change everything for us. But here's the key. Not only would it change things for us, it would change things for those around us. And that is what Paul says is the goal. In verse 14, he says, he shares the great commandment which Jesus taught us, which is to love our neighbor as ourself. He says this battle is taking place and you need to make sure that you walk in the spirit and you allow the spirit to win because you are called to love your neighbor as yourself. To cultivate a life in the spirit is an act of love. It's an act of love. I love how one author defines love 
by using the fruit of the Spirit. And maybe this will begin to give you a picture of how the, the, the characteristics of this fruit can begin to emanate and, 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 and impact the people around us. He writes this, I believe that joy is love rejoicing, that peace is love at rest, patience is love waiting, kindness is love interacting, goodness is love initiating, faithfulness is love keeping its word, gentleness is love empathizing, and self-control is love resisting temptation. The fruit of the Spirit is an amazing life. Who wouldn't want to live that way? But it's not going to happen unless you are in the fight. My goal today has been to ask you this question, are you in the fight? Are you in the fight? If not, the past five weeks of this series, while they were great, if we're not in the fight, we're never going to be able to produce the fruit or live the life that Pastor Ben has been encouraging us to go after. Sin will entangle us and keep us from that fruit. To be a Christian is to be a fighter. It's to be known for your warfare. You don't have to feel guilty for still being tempted. We all are. All of us are. And if you're not, share your secret with us because I have no idea. We all... We are all tempted. That's the flesh within us. But we counter it by walking in the Spirit. So guys, feed the one and starve the other. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you because you are good, because you love us, because even though you call us to live a holy life, which just seems so grand and and big, you recognize that we will have slip-ups, that we will mess up, that we will fall into sin. But you call us when that happens to repent. And I pray, God, that we will just see the simple lesson, that the fight is normal, that sin is a reality that we still have to deal with even after following after you choosing to follow after you. But I pray that that won't keep us when we sin, when we mess up. It won't keep us from you, but we will turn around and come back to your love, back to your grace. Help us overcome the flesh. Help us walk in step with the Spirit, as Paul described. Give us the strength to be able to feed the one and starve the other and to choose rightly. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. The band's going to lead us in a song, and we're also going to celebrate communion during this time. Communion is a picture of what Jesus has done for us through his death and, 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 and on the cross. The body of Christ, which is represented by the bread, um, we're going to take that and then we're going to dip it into the juice, which represents his blood, which was poured out for us. And as we just kind of take this holy moment, let us reflect that it's because of what Jesus did for on the cross that what the scripture says is that the power of sin and death have been destroyed, have been overcome. And that is a victory that is promised to us. But while we are still here on earth, there, we're seeing fruits of that, we're seeing evidence of that, but we're living in a state of already but not yet. So we celebrate what is to come, the complete destruction of sin and death. And then we are reminded, we give thanks 
because of the Spirit of God living inside of us that helps us overcome each and every day when we choose to walk in Him. So let's respond, let us worship, let us take communion as the band leads us. Thank you so much for joining us on the Epic Church Podcast today. If you would like to learn more, you can go to epicsf.com. I want to also encourage you to download the Epic SF app so that you can keep up with everything that God is doing in and through this community in downtown San Francisco.